0: And welcome to Risk Chats with a Firm. I'm your host, Paul Marshall. Today we're speaking with Vlad Antikarov, and we're talking about how to embed ERM concepts into capital budgeting, and specifically some uh, innovative approaches here to calculating things like the net present value. We'll talk about agility adjusted net present value. other ways of looking at risks to your capital projects. So without further ado, let's talk to Vlad. Hello and welcome to the podcast. All right, we're back with another exciting Affirm podcast and we have a returning guest, uh, Mr. Vlad Antikorov. He's from the Varea Group, a principal over there, and uh, he wrote an article in one of the journals not too long ago about capital budgeting and ERM and how to embed that in there. So we want to invite you back to, to speak to that topic. So hi, Vlad. How are you doing today?
1: Hi, Paul. Thanks for inviting me again. I'm doing great.
0: Absolutely. Well, this is great. And we are in studio, too, which feels nice. We're not sitting at home here, so this is kind of fun. Um, well, why don't we just start off again, if you don't mind, just reintroducing yourself to our audience briefly a little bit about what you do, and then we'll jump into the topic.
1: Sure. Uh, well, my name is Vlad Antikorov. Uh I uh, have a background in uh, management consulting, in uh, corporate management, in private sector. Uh, and at the same time, I have kind of one of my legs is in academia. I've written a book uh, a few, quite a few years ago now on a particular topic of finance that I think we're going to touch later, which uh, is quite popular in uh Academic and professional writings. So, uh, right now, uh, we uh, have this uh, small consultancy that is trying to, now that I'm in DC, uh, translate, so to speak, uh, some of the best practices from the private sector in the area of uh, risk management and strategy into the federal space, uh, so that federal uh, space can benefit from these innovations, uh, which are. Right. needed in our times, as we'll discuss later. Yeah, this is the I'm, right place. Yeah, I'm also the regional director of a non-for-profit, uh, which is kind of, a I guess, a, a sister or, or a nephew or whatever the other <laughs> of a firm, which is called Premier, which is the Professional Risk Management International Association. So I'm the regional director of the DC chapter.
0: Awesome. Well, again, yeah, welcome back. Um, so, yeah, let's get into this article. I thought it was very interesting, using some of your concepts you've spoken about in previous times, but maybe you can just start us off with what do you see as the problem out there that you are trying to address in your article?
1: Well, so first of all, the article is in the uh, Affirm Quarterly, which is actually uh, the publication of uh, the the association that we are talking about. And the specific topic is embedding the ERM principle into the capital budgeting process, into the federal space, into the federal agencies. Uh, as you know, uh, this has been part of a long discussion that a key element of the maturation of the ERM function in both in public and private organization is embedding the ERM principle in the decision processes of different functions. And obviously the capital budgeting uh, process is one of the key functions which determines the long-term capabilities of an institution. So that's uh, a very important uh, area of maturation of the ERM capabilities.
0: Right. And it makes sense because it's a long-term projects and things that could be affected by unforeseen risks and all that
1: kind of stuff. You're literally setting things in stone.
0: Right. (laughs) So, and, you know, obviously I'm assuming things are – Pretty volatile right now in the, in the government space and just, I mean, everything, climate, all kinds of factors are out there. So what are some ways that you know, your approach can kind of deal with that?
1: Well, the approach is kind of broadening what, what uh, the ERM professionals have been doing. We already, we're all well familiar with the understanding of risk assessments, risk appetite, and risk control. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the, the risk control presumed that we put in place certain capabilities that actually uh, bring the risk uh, damages to the desired level if it's to occur. Right. But we're talking now about much broader uh, and much more kind of uh, impactful uh, risk scenarios. For example, COVID was uh, a, a powerful example of this, that we discovered that uh, all set of supply chains – well, actually not re- resilient. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had the interruptions. We had the shortages. Uh, both uh, state, federal, local governments had to overpay tremendously and beat against each other for all kind of uh, medical-related supplies, and uh, this was pretty costly. And that's what that uh, we're calling reactive resilience. So this is where you start to respond to a risk scenario only when it emerges. You're mm-hmm. not... Uh, you're not uh, prepared for it, and that's the opposite of proactive resilience, where you have uh, explored possible scenarios, uh, pre-developed this uh, resilience, pre-positioned those contingent capabilities, and you're ready to respond much more uh, effectively and quickly uh, even, even when those scenarios occur.
0: Right, and you know, obviously, better to be proactive than reactive. I think you brought up in your, your paper there you know that's all good, but how do you justify these investments and things that may or may not happen? You know this always comes up, right? Right. So, so
1: that's 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 the biggest challenge, because now uh, if if uh, ERM is moving into the capital budgeting space, we start uh, you know the, the conversation now becomes about serious resources, and uh, the question about building strong cases that actually justify investment in uh, resilience capabilities becomes a challenge. Uh, Why does it become a challenge? Well, it becomes a challenge uh, because uh, when you invest in operational capabilities, uh, both the investments and the cost of building them, but also the benefits are pretty predictable Mm -hmm. because you're going to use them on an ongoing basis to fulfill your mission. So the benefits, even though there's a range uh, but it's the is within, the range is kind of narrow enough, so to speak. Uh, it's very different when you're building contingent capabilities. Uh, I mean, we can use different analogies here from uh, water sprinklers in a building, you know, you may never use them. Or a fire extinguisher, or a simple one, I always love to use the umbrella example because everybody understands that, uh, you know, if you buy an umbrella on a sunny day and it doesn't rain for a year, uh, you probably uh, kind of wasted the money, even though it's a small money. So, deciding whether to buy an umbrella, uh, you know, how often it's going to rain, when it's going to rain. So, very simple. The intuition is that because the risk, by definition, uncertain, the benefits from mitigating them are uncertain. So, justifying the investment becomes a challenge. And the current cost-benefit methodologies in the private sector it's called net present value. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the federal space, there's some regulations that I mentioned in the article, uh, benefit-cost analysis. They're not well-suited because they're all uh, based on the idea of a base case scenario, mm-hmm. the average, the average cost, the average benefits. And, you know, uh, kind of, again, to use the, the, the metaphor from uh, the umbrella, on average, in, in Washington, D.C., doesn't rain. So uh, you cannot justify the umbrella because it's hard to put this into the average scenario. That makes sense.
0: So, yes, yeah, so talk a little bit about that. So the, the net present value is one approach. It seems like you've, you've identified one here that's a little better, kind of adjusting that idea a little bit.
1: Well, this comes back to uh, my kind of academic uh, half of my work. There's an area of finance, and we spoke briefly about this in our previous conversation called real options analysis. Mm -hmm. And basically, it takes the uh, the methodologies, the mathematics, uh, if you want, from the uh, derivatives in the financial sector and applies them to so called real assets. That's why I call real options, not that it's aspirational. And again, if you go back to our simple umbrella Mm -hmm. metaphor, Mm -hmm. when you buy the umbrella, you're buying an option, the option to uh, you know, if and when it rains, right. to open the umbrella and stay dry. That's true. So <laughs> so if you can then uh, think about the uncertainty, the benefits, this and that, you can then apply uh, the, the theories that have been developed for financial options and get a pretty good valuation of uh, the option of buying the umbrella uh so uh what we did with the uh, we call this agility adjusted net present value and mm-hmm. actually we should come back to the term agility versus okay. resilience okay. for a second uh, the reason we use agility and that's actually important uh because when you say resilience, it implies that we deal only with the negative uncertainty right if negative events occur we deal with them we overcome them we absorb mm-hmm. the you know But actually, there is is, uh, something that's called opportunity, right? So it's it's a positive uncertainty that if you're not prepared, you know, we have all this, you know, the the fortune favors the prepared. What does it mean? That you should have opportunity capability. Uh, You know, unfortunately, in, in English and many other languages, opportunism has this negative connotation. Right, right. Which maybe we should think about it like so many other words and empower it or whatever but it's very unfortunate because you have to be prepared for taking advantage of opportunities as well. And uh, there was a presidential uh, directive a few months ago uh, that basically commanded federal agency to think how they can improve their services, how they speed up, how they can get down to the people, so on and so forth, which is basically, again, saying you have to be able to be more flexible, to be more agile. And I think the word agile encompasses both that you are able to deal with uh, adversities, but you're also able to take advantage of opportunities. Right. That's why we call it agility-adjusted rather than resilience-adjusted net present value. Right. Uh, the reason we call it net present value is that uh, we uh, wanted to make it as, as uh, similar as possible to the current cost-benefit analysis that the professionals uh, know how to do and make it as closer, because uh, if people open this uh, option literature, you can see that there's some, you know, you can go very hairy with the math and stuff. So the question is how to make it practical, but at the same time useful. So that's always the idea. And I can talk about this uh, interesting case that we did with a a, a colleague of mine. Yeah, please. Uh, So uh, just just to give a specific example, because that's how it's going to become clear how that works. So we did uh, analysis uh, with a colleague of mine from he he's an executive at the Stanford University Medical System. So Stanford University Medical System, uh, a non-for-profit, huge, multiple hospitals. Uh, and uh, when uh, 2020 happened and COVID occurred, they were hit by the shortages of uh, personal protective equipment, right. uh, PPE, PPE as it's called in the industry. So uh, they uh, couldn't buy, uh, their need exploded because now they have to continuously you know, dress all their personnel in all these protective costumes and masks and all, all that stuff. Uh, but so uh, every other medical institution in America. So they start trying to buy this protective equipment, but they couldn't buy the quantities that they needed. Right. So they had shortage, physical shortage of this equipment. The result of that was that they had to curtail their so-called elective surgery. Hmm. So they kept the, um, I, I don't know, I forgot the other medical term, predictive surgery, whatever the, uh, so it's called elective, so they curtail, which is one of their most profitable operations. Right. Well, they had to
0: do the, the, the ones that's and non-elective. Focus, and focus, exactly, not, non-elective, that's exactly, ones, yeah. so
1: exactly, elective. Mm-hmm. and all, So they had to focus on the non-elective. Uh, but this had uh, an impact on their revenue. On revenue right. And uh, whatever numbers we use in the in, in presentation that we did, we kind of didn't use exact numbers, uh, but was approximately 8.5% reduction in their revenue, which is pretty substantial.
0: And the cost going up because the equipment
1: At the... Se- exactly. Right. At the same time, even though they bought less equipment, prices escalated 10 times. Right. So their cost went up hmm. uh, by 4%, as I remember so revenue went down uh, 8.5, costs went up 4, mm-hmm. and their net earnings from uh, potential 20 million uh, went down to 6, mm. pretty substantial yeah. uh, uh, impact, so to speak. So, uh, of course, they went through all this uh, time and cope with the situation, but then they look again at their uh, forward plans for the next five years, and they uh, ask themselves the question, what's gonna be the impact if there's another wave, or another, you know, uh, what's gonna be impact if, right. if, if this risk event occur again? In some other form, but possible. And they develop uh, what we call, is, we call it simply risk scenario. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so in addition to their base case plan, they develop a second scenario, which is a risk scenario, Uh, in in a lot of ERNs called residual, so this is without mitigation. If this happens and they are as unprepared as they were the first time, what would be the impact? And to simplify matters, uh, we assume the same, that revenues will go down by uh, 8.5%, costs are going to go by 4%, so we kind of... uh, Then the question was about probabilities, and there's a... One can go pretty sophisticated there, and especially... Maybe some other times we're going to talk about climate resilience. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as, as a start, is it good to assume some reasonable number? And uh, for, uh, for presentation purposes, we assume 10% probability. Okay. And it's very important to, to clarify. It's 10% in statistics called confidence interval. So right. we're saying with 10%, we can have a scenario equal or worst than the one that we have outlined. Mm-hmm. So it's not just this one scenario, but all of the scenarios that are or worse. So that's the weakest form of probability uh, that we can ask the experts to assign. And this is interactive. People can play with different assumptions and see how that... Uh, so then we saw the damages that this will cause. Mm-hmm. So now with the uh, with the adjusted net present value, uh, without again going into the financial details, but rather than getting a single number, calling this is the value of the project, we get three separate numbers. Mm. We had the value of the baseline. Right. We have the value of the upside, if we do better than the baseline. And we subtract the value of the downside, if we do worse than the website. So now we have three separate components, right. and we can now see how we can tweak the project to improve each one of those three components. We can mm. improve the baseline, we can improve. So uh, in another little clarification to have the upside, we develop a third scenario, which was kind of the opportunity scenario, again, with some probability, maybe, maybe there's going to be any other COVID and people are going to use more healthcare because they postponed it. So things going right. to be better than planned. So that's why we call it agility. So we have base case, risk scenario, opportunity scenario, upside scenario, whatever Term use. So, three scenarios. Right. And using those three scenarios, then we develop those three components using all this uh, real option stuff, but it's all under the carpet, so professionals don't have to worry about it. But well, we get these three values. And now, uh, so, on a, a, again, on the ground at, at Stanford Medical, they thought what would be a practical uh, course of action to, right. to mitigate these possible impacts. Hmm. And they decided to rent and refurbish a large storage facility. Again, they had to spend a lot of money to bring it to medical standards, right? Because right. your storing medical equipment has to be very clean, ventilation, temperature, all, all that stuff. So quite quite an investment. And they decided they're going to buy upfront and store their multi-million uh, reserves of PPE. Mm. So now the question is uh, how to assess the value of this. Is this a good investment or not? A good, especially if you're in private sector, but even in the public sector or in the non-for-profit, th- those are valid questions. Right. So again, we said, okay, what would what be the impact if this storage facility is in place? Uh, and uh, the analysis showed that, uh, yes, we're going to have some reduction of revenue, but not because we it; we have a shortage, but because people still may postpone some medical stuff. So the assumption was that the revenue may drop by two percent rather than eight point five percent.
0: And when you were going back to you're saying that the issue they should, they could not do the elective surgery because of the lack of the equipment.
1: Correct? Right. Right. Okay. right. So now again, to to be realistic, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so then, and then, uh, we assume that it's going to be a zero cost impact because they already have the, they already have the, the reserves, so yeah, they're going to be using them at the, at the regular price. It's not going to be a cost impact. And there was an interesting, uh, point many people brought that, oh, what if they, uh, because they can operate, they can, uh, uh, steal customers from other hospitals. So if, what if they sell part of their PPE to other hospitals and higher prices? Uh, so from a kind of an ethical perspective, we decided not to explore this mm-hmm. element, but everybody understands. And again, even the ethics here are not, are not clear. If you have something, I mean, that's why you, we're, we're, we're blaming the people that are taking advantage of a situation. They didn't create a situation, and right. that's how the markets work, right? The price to go up, supply that oh, yeah. So... Um, but whatever. So we stick only with this. So the revenue is going to go only down by 2% and the cost is going to remain the same. Uh, however, we were realistic that there's going to be an additional investment. And again, let's assume it's $10 million. Mm-hmm. And then there's going to be an ongoing maintenance cost because they're paying rent, you know, there's maintenance. So we reduce the value of the base case with this extra cost. Right. To be realistic, right? So... Uh, what it showed is that if you're using the classical net present value, mm-hmm. it went down. It went down, yeah. Because sure. basically the baseline, on average, there should not be another COVID. Uh, it's not in the base case. Right. You're spending ten millions more to build it. Well, you're spending ongoing, so, on ground, you, so it goes yeah. down. Yeah. But if you're using the adjusted net present value, it accounts for the cost, but also the the subtraction of the negative. Uh, the potential negative goes dramatically down right, and compensates for all these additional costs, in this case, and yeah. basically show that this is an excellent investment uh, given those assumptions. Again, uh, yeah. there may be cases where this says, no, that's not a good investment, or maybe it's a case that says, hey, the benefit covers 80% of the cost and only 20 is actually a net loss if we, but it's worth from a, from a risk, uh, appetite perspective. So right. this whole opens a whole, a whole, uh, set, you know, uh, kind of, I'm always, you know, you know how in, in geometry, <laughs> you can have a single line, yeah. you can have a two space, a plane, and you can have a three, three dimensional, real three dimensional space. Right. And that's what we're doing here with the net present value. It's a line right. positive or negative.
0: Right. Right.
1: And here we're introducing the baseline, the upside, and the downside. We're creating three-dimensional space mm-hmm. in which you can improve projects. You can see whether the project is downside, leverage, upside. There's a lot of metrics that we have created that, uh, create, you know, that deepens the understanding. Right. So there are three ways in which this methodology then can be uh, applied. One is uh, improving the project itself. And this is actually the, the Stanford case. In a sense, if you look at the Stanford medical system as a single business, mm-hmm. you're adding this resilience-building project, and it improves the resilience of the whole of the whole operation. Sure, sure. Uh, a second one is uh, comparing project and choosing to do A or to do B. Right. Because today, we're, use, we're basically looking only on the base case scenario we're missing the upside and the downside. Yeah. And there could be a case where the base case looks a little better, but it has a massive potential downside uh, or one that you know looks a little worse, but small downside, big upside. So yeah. creates this much richer because usually in uh, all the finance books, oh, MPV, high MPV, many times the more profitable projects are usually riskier. You know, money, money sure. doesn't grow yeah. on the trees, right? right. So... So then the, 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 the managers, the leaders of those, have to make those more sophisticated trade-offs, mm-hmm. potential profitability with higher risk. And this kind of quantifies, in a sense, uh, what the geologist net present value is, it quantifies the so-called SWOT analysis. Because
0: mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. if you think about a SWOT analysis, what is SWOT analysis? Strengths and weaknesses, opportunities and threats. Right. So the strengths and the weaknesses are your current, features, sure. the good one and the bad one, and they drive your baseline. For your baseline. And then you overlay opportunities, you can do better, or threats you can do worse.
0: Upside, downside, yeah.
1: Yeah, the problem is that today, we all know how to do this, we all have this as part of our verbal discussion, maybe even written documents, mm-hmm. but this doesn't go anywhere into the numbers.
0: To actually quantify, yeah.
1: Right. When it comes to the you stick only with it. So, in a sense, this is... Uh, quantification of the SWOT analysis. And then on the highest level is if you have a portfolio of businesses or activities or Mm -hmm. whatever it is, then you can map them all on a two-by-two, you know, high upside, low upside, high downside, low downside. And you can see you maybe have operations who are low upside, low downside. They're kind of stable. Mm -hmm. Uh, You may have one that are kind of... uh, Getting out of favor for whatever reason, low upside, high downside, and so it kind of uh, you can you can map a whole portfolio and assess the integrated resilience or agility uh, of of a whole portfolio of operations.
0: Yeah, and I can see. I mean, you, you, obviously, the application for capital projects is you know obvious because you know these are big long term projects. Which ones do you go for? Which ones do you not? What types of you know? But also, I mean, I I think of it just for government, ongoing operations and, and, you know, maintenance activities too. You know, have we considered all these risks? Have we quantified them? What if this were to occur? How would it impact our budget for these just operational activities? Because, I mean, honestly, those go on forever. Capital capital project might be five years and it's done. But, you know, the O&M of government goes on indefinitely.
1: No, I completely agree with you. And, again, without offending anybody, but I believe in, uh, I don't know how to phrase it, I call it intellectual reverse engineering. Hmm. If the final decision process is very simple, mm-hmm. then people don't put effort in the steps before that. Yeah. So if, you, if you're talking about all these things that may happen or could you know, uh, but at the end of the day, they, they don't go into the numbers, they don't go into the formula, they don't yeah. go into the yes or no, yeah, people are going to say something. If you create a decision process that actually utilizes this in a disciplined way, then you're motivating the whole decision step-by-step process beforehand, before that, to become more diligent, more thoughtful, uh, more rigorous, you know, with kind of people made the investment, because now it matters. Right.
0: So, um, I have a few minutes left for just some random questions for me. Uh, this is a very interesting topic. I, never, I think it's actually a great approach. I love that, you know, obviously the baseline is pretty much what we're used to but then you've actually been able to quantify the upside the downside with risk management concepts, with probabilities and, you know, ranges. Um, So I guess one question is, how do you know what to put into your analysis and what not to? I mean, there's, you know, so many risks out there. Is it uh, the most obvious ones that you know are going to be pertinent? But something like COVID, again, nobody really did a great job of predicting that. I don't know, how would you even think to factor that into your, you know, this analysis, for example, of you know, do we need this backup of PPE? It's almost like it had to happen before they even thought to include it in their analysis. Well, I mean,
1: the, 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 the good thing about operational uh, resilience and agility is that the same capabilities are very useful under a broad range of uh, scenarios. Sure, sure. So if you're a medical operation uh, and you have your uh, reserve medical supplies, if you cross-train your medical staff so that they can replace each other, if you have signed with multiple contractors, if we had built contracts where you have embedded optionality for you to order more at the same price, if you, so all these things that would help, they'll help with COVID, they'll help with some, uh, you know, God forbid in California earthquake, I mean, anything that yeah, interrupts, and anything that interrupts yeah. operations, right, you know, right. uh, the same contingent capabilities, uh, I, I like to call them contingent capabilities. They they uh, they're useful. The same on the upside, you know. If you have uh, if you have prepared uh, for opportunities, I mean, for every given organization, the opportunities are within the range of its operations, right? If you're FEMA, I'm not gonna ask you to design new monuments on the mall. Uh, you know, you're gonna be operating with so the opportunity. Also, the same capabilities on the upside, they they can support you in a broad variety of. Uh, Opportunity scenarios, if we can call them this way.
0: Yeah, because I was thinking, you know, if you did have that facility with all that equipment available, you know, and then something else happens again, like you know, there still could be opportunities. You know, other hospitals can't treat these folks, so they come to you, right? You know, etc. Right. So there's exactly if you have to resell or whatever it is. but
1: exactly. So then, yeah. so then you can basically focus on your key uh, capabilities, and then you see all the the set of risks that could impact them. And then you make assessment, you know, what is the, the chance that either one of them or a combination of them can occur, and then, uh, you know, uh, you can take it from there.
0: So, and again, uh, what what is usually the way you approach a project like this? What are the, you know, inputs and factors that, let's say somebody's saying, hey, I need, I want to do this kind of analysis for my agency, for my particular program, you know, what's what's the overall general approach? How do you go in there and do something like this. I mean,
1: I, I without kind of uh, talking about specific clients, but currently we're in conversation with a major international development institution, mm-hmm. and they're basically uh, thinking about climate resilience. Okay. Uh, and uh, some of these things are pretty, you know, they're engineering. You know, you have to lay more concrete. You have to build an extra height for, you know, so like uh, water levels, right, or whatever, right, right. Yeah. Exactly. So these things kind of can can become very uh, very engineering on one side, uh, and on the other side, if you have agency that are more into service and operation, then you have to kind of analyze the whole delivery value chain, yeah, so to speak, and, and then see what uh, portfolio of uh, resilience capabilities need to be in place to mitigate.
0: Right, someone can be very just capital heavy, like you said, building buildings or right. like water walls or whatever, and some is just pure, keep the IT up and running, or right, right. what if our business yeah. changes, how do we adapt? Have spare to capacity,
1: be able to bring yeah. people from one uh, line of work to the other, you know, right. say so have multiple suppliers, uh, that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, that supply chain thing, I think, threw everybody off, I mean, nobody thought we had to hoard things, you know, so we would have to not pay so much, and actually, I mean, we still can't get, you know, Furniture from overseas and things like that. I mean, this has been years well, of impact.
1: You, you and I can discuss later when we, we can have a different discussion on supply chain because that's yeah. uh, uh, that's a that's, a, one. that's, a, that's a <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting one that uh, probably will have an interesting discussion with some interesting ideas there.
0: Yeah, that's one where you know just normal lay people would be like supply chain. I don't know what that means. And Now everybody knows what it means. Because well, it
1: knows, but but, I, but but you know, I. I I gave a talk, and we can discuss this. Uh, Confucius. I start with a quote from Confucius. It mm-hmm. says, "Calling things with their proper name is half of the solution, or something to That's, that effect." Yeah. And first of all, we don't manage the supply chain. Mm-hmm. The supply chain means that I buy from you, you buy from John, John buys yeah. from Michael, yeah. you know. Yeah.
0: And all all
1: we measure is exactly our yeah. ring. Your little link in the so chain, or whatever. Second, yeah. second, it's not mm-hmm. a chain; it's a network. It's, it'd be a chain. If I buy one product, but every, especially in, in the technol- you know, in the production space, it's a whole network of inputs that themselves are networks of inputs. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we're, we're not even using the right terms. Yeah. Uh, we are claiming that we do supply chain management. It's mm-hmm. not. And mm-hmm. so there's some analytics there that also can be uh, done. Uh, but that's a separate conversation. I don't want mm-hmm. to deviate from our topic.
0: Sure. Well, yeah, we can say that for next time. We're actually at the end here, so uh, thanks again. I mean, any final words or, you know, any, before, we, before we go here, any other encouragement you've put out there for folks to learn more?
1: Well, uh, I mean, uh, please look. This is the Affirm uh, quarterly bulletin from, uh, from March or whatever. The article is there. Uh, so uh, it's very brief, kind of, I don't know, two pages, three pages, mm-hmm. so there is uh, nothing technical there. And, uh, I mean, I don't, I'm, I don't guess I'm not supposed to market, but we're interested in finding partners and, uh, uh, you know, having pilots and, mm-hmm. and uh, see how things work when the rubber meets the road. Okay.
0: Well, thanks again for joining us today.
1: That's the show. Thanks for
0: tuning in. Affirm.org. Check it out. Get all your federal ERM needs met great articles listen to some great podcasts find out about all the affirm events and uh yeah the summit's coming up again just a few months so 2022 is buzzing by pretty quick so we look forward to having some more podcasts for you soon and until that next time this is your host paul marshall signing off for risk chats with Affirm.